best way I know to get everybody quiet from the hearts out is to open up in prayer. That's a good way to start everything, isn't it? Why won't this fit in my waistband anymore? <laughs> the kitchen sink cookie. Yeah, that was great. Yep, that'll do it every time. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful August Sunday. Thank you we get to gather together and open your word and you promise to teach us and to show us and to open our eyes to things that we are so naturally blind to. Father, I thank you for your goodness to each of us in this class, the many answers to prayer. Just recently, Lord, our, our hearts rejoice. And then, Lord, our, our hearts lift up those that are in very um, intense need of prayer. I think of Edwin even now as, as Betty just explained to us what he's going through. And, Lord, I pray for dear Joe Mark. And, God, how I pray that you would lift him up and refresh his spirit. Father, there are, there are so many that are in deep need of prayer right now. And so, Lord, as we open your word, I pray that you would meet the needs, not the physical ones, but, Father, the deep, real spiritual needs in each of our hearts. And, Lord, I pray that because of your word and the spirit that indwells us, we would be so excited to know that you have promised to change us and to make us more like you. And I pray this for each one of our dear ladies, and I pray this for me. In thy precious name, amen. All right, second mile Christianity. It began as a one-part lesson. It turned into a two-part lesson, and now it is into a three-part lesson. Second mile Christianity, taught from the lips of Jesus. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. Matthew 5, 41. And this is where Jesus is teaching a multitude of people, and the word of God uses the word compel. Say it with me, compel. Compel. He compels us to live a second mile Christianity. Do you remember what the word compel is communicating? All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna remind us. It is the instruction to be ready and willing. Tell your lady next to you, ready and willing. To be ready and willing, ready to submit to submit to inconvenience and unreasonable demands. Wow. To be ready and willing to submit to inconvenience and unreasonable demands. You say, Kathy, that, that describes my week last week. Well, yeah, the unreasonable and the inconvenient, that's a part, those are the laws of life. I totally get that. But was I ready and willing to do the extra mile that Jesus is compelling us to do in reference to that. So just as a point of knowing where we're at, Jesus in this time frame is talking to a multitude of people. And in that day, their daily inconvenience and irritation of their life that was common and every day was carrying the Roman soldier's backpack for a mile. You remember that? And that was the law. So... Jesus then gives me this instruction to something that daily interrupts, daily frustrates yours and my day. And he says, this is what I want you to do with that daily frustration. I don't want you to carry it one mile. And we're all going, yes, finally, life is fair. He says, no, I want you to carry it two. I'm compelling you to carry it, carrying it for two miles. So he's saying, 
Instead of hiding behind a tree, Kathy, or instead of running away so the soldier doesn't see you, I am compelling you to go the second mile. It is a volunteering, a readiness to keep the law and then choose to do more. Wow. It is life-changing to get a hold of this principle that Jesus is teaching and put it into daily practice. See, you and I, we have no choice with the laws of life. We don't. It's, it's life. I mean, you've heard the expression. It's life. You know, it's just life. We have no choice about the laws of life. They're daily. They're unreasonable. They are often unfair. Unfair like a call from a referee who makes an awful call because he doesn't see it my way or he didn't see the whole picture. The laws of life. They're unfair. They're always interruptive. And it triggers a natural response in all of us. It triggers a natural response that happens in you and me. When you got interrupted, when you got irritated last week, do you know what response you had? You don't even know? Okay, I'll tell you. You were irritated. <laughs> you were irritated. I was irritated. I have something for you to see that is inside of you and me every time the natural laws of life happen to us. And if you can't see it, you'll want to move to it. We're going to watch a few minutes of this. Ready? This is what's inside of us. Can you turn it up? And then go ahead and start it in the beginning. Okay, start, start back. That's the law of life and the natural response. Oh, it's good. <laughs> yeah. Can you put it back to the beginning now? Okay, Trina's going to put it back to the beginning now because you've got to catch these first ones. This is, this is life. <laughs> Getting upset over windshield wipers. Don't we get upset over the silliest things? <laughs> I love that one. Okay, that's good, good. Okay, so now that because you could not identify your reaction when you were interrupted or when somebody was unreasonable, I just put it up there on the screen for us because that is our natural reaction. It naturally happens. It happens automatically without us even thinking about it because we are naturally that way. Um, that is who we are. How many of you are tea drinkers? Okay, all right. This is what we do. When we put our tea bag in our china cup and we pour in the hot water, the hot water activates the tea in the bag. The hot water looses, it, relate, it releases the taste into the water around it. The hot water does not create the taste. The hot water only activates it, draws out what was already in the bag. Alrighty. So this is a picture of what happens in the human heart. The pressures of life, the laws of life, they merely draw out 
what is already in the bag. I mean the heart, the heart. <laughs> okay. So, so that is what happens. It's an, it's an activator. Don't blame the water for the taste in the cup. In the illustration of last week when I was irritated because I could not find the bottle of essential oil that was supposed to get to Tina after I had so carefully packed it, the irritation that filled me as I was in a 100-degree garage pulling things out, stomping on spiders, wiping sweat off my brow, the irritation grew over something as silly as that chihuahua barking at the windshield wipers, okay? I chose to be irritated. I chose it. I chose to make a big deal about a, a loss, a $20 bottle of oil. I chose to make it bigger than what it was. Have you ever been around a person or worked with a person or lived with a person who, in the jobs and in the laws of life, they make everything harder? They just, they just make everything harder than it should be. Isn't that wearisome? Isn't that heavy? And God says, this is the law that saves you from it, if it's myself or if it's somebody else. Um, oh, and then, then I started um, blaming. Who did I blame? My sweet husband. I blamed him. See, he repackaged what I had already packaged, and that kind of irritated me too, you know. Shouldn't have. He does. He who pack, Who's the best packer in our home? Yeah, has always been. Yeah. But it was, it was my pride, see. It's my pride that is so easily irritated. It's so alive and well. And this issue that Jesus is teaching is in direct response to my pride. Not my time schedule, not what I've got to do. It's a response to Kathy's pride. Um, blaming. Blaming solves nothing. Tell the lady next to you. We are so prone to immediately blame. You've heard over and over, well, he makes me mad. No, no, no. I am mad because I choose to be mad. Blaming started in the Garden of Eden, of course. It comes naturally, just as natural. When we live, I don't know if you've uh, been to the Wednesday night Bible studies as we talked about the natural man and the, the new man. Oh, it is so revealing. It is so good. When we respond naturally, we are responding to what is dead. But we're living dead. That's what we have become, the living dead. When we respond from the grace of God given to us in the spirit with our faith, we're renewed. We're alive unto life in the problem, in the irritation. But, but we automatically go to blame. And so just as uh, YBH, yeah, but how? How do I go that second mile? The first thing is don't blame. Don't blame. Just, just stop my mouth and immediately say, Father, this is not a solution. And this is making me more irritated, not less. Um, Gabriel and Garcia Marquez, a marriage is portrayed that disintegrated over a bar of soap. It was the wife's job to keep the house in order, including towels, toilet paper, soap in the bathroom. One day she forgot to replace the, the soap, an oversight her husband mentioned in an exaggerated way. By the way, in your verbiage, when you're in any type of a confrontation, 
Um, here's a time to use the word never, but otherwise you never use the, take it right out of your vocabulary. You never follow through. You never, never use the word never when you're trying to solve a problem. Never use the word always. Take never and always right out of my verbiage. You always do this. No, that, that's not true. And all that does is build the level of irritation. It solves nothing. It makes it worse. So uh, he says, in an exaggerated way, I've been bathing for a week without any soap, which she vigorously denied. Although she indeed had forgotten, her pride was at stake, and she would not back down. What was the outcome of one bar of soap not being in the bathroom? For the next seven months, they slept in separate rooms and ate in silence. How can a bar of soap ruin a marriage? Because neither partner would say, stop. This cannot go on. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Over such trivialities, lifelong relationships crack apart, and only forgiveness and only kindness can halt the widening fissures. Yeah, a bar of soap. And yet, we have all been there. For me, it was, it was a vial of oil. Now, praise God. Immediately when the Holy Spirit began convicting me about that, just like I chose to be irritated, I chose to get it right. Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me. And I can't wait to make this right with my husband. Um, so it is the tea bag. What is in the tea bag determines what is in the cup. The pressure exposes how unlike Christ we really are. Here's a really good practical every day. Yeah, but how? How do I, how do I make sure when the hot water comes that what is let loose in me is the flavor of Christ and not the flavor of Kathy. Okay, the best discipline you can put in your day, because the laws of life are every day. You know you're going to face them. The best discipline you, you and I can put in our day is to pray every day before it begins, before the laws start slamming you. Create in me a clean heart. Oh, Father, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Start out with that tea bag filled with the person of Christ. And God, when this heart begins to be filled with offense or with irritation or whatever, convict me immediately. Make me so miserable I can't go on for another minute until I make this right. And our gracious Heavenly Father again says, ask and it shall be given. Seek and ye shall find. You confess your faults. What's Jesus going to do? He's going to forgive me. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me to make my heart clean again so that what comes out is tasty. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to James 4. It's the new verse that I put up here. Basically, these are all in this same study. James 4, 1 through 3. And James hits the nail on the head, inspired to write. He says, Whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence. This is identifying where they're coming from. It's not anybody's fault. It's my fault. It's my pride. It's my failure. Even of your lust that war in your members, James 4, 1 through 3. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have. Ye cannot obtain. Ye fight and ye war, yet ye have not. Because you ask not. You ask and you receive not because you ask amiss. 
How many of you ever prayed for something to be taken out of your life? All right? I'm sure it was a serious thing, but we've all been there. Um, that you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. Now, make a notation. We're going to go down to verse 8, but don't look at it yet because this is really good. Okay, so that's where this all comes from. It comes from our natural sinful heart. Second mile Christianity is a choice that will war against my natural sin nature. It's daily. It is not in me that I have the power or the strength and sometimes even the desire to go the second mile. It's not in me. It is in Christ, and Christ liveth in me through the power of his spirit. He says, Kathy, you are going to be strengthened. You are going to resolve. You are going to be enabled. In me, I'm going to do this through you. You all have a little loaf of banana bread. Um, it's mostly my mom's recipe, but I added something in there that we all need. We all need heart medicine. This is an issue of the heart, okay? And so in your little loaf of banana bread, that is my mom's recipe, I added heart medicine, to which you all say, thank you, Kathy. Thank you. Yes, you know, you know what it is, a.k.a. dark chocolate. Yes, of course, it's heart medicine. It's in there. So your banana bread, you're going to enjoy it with your tea or your coffee. I just love this recipe. And, um, but it didn't start. It didn't start like the little loaf that you have didn't start that way at all. It started with rotten bananas and sour milk, buttermilk. I never have buttermilk on hand, so I sour my own milk with lemon juice and sometimes vinegar, and then it curdles, and then you, you have it. That's how that loaf of bread began with rotten bananas and sour. Well, how could something that is rotten and sour end up so good? Because of what was added to it. And it was totally changed. <laughs> the sweetness, yep. We begin life. You and I begin life, and we begin it sour and rotten. We are born in sin. But God in his mercy is not willing that I should rot. He is not willing that I should perish. But that I can find that repentance, that I can have his ingredients placed inside of me that is going to totally change me. By his grace, salvation. When the spirit of God indwells you at salvation, it immediately begins to turn my rottenness into righteousness. He takes my rottenness and he begins to add his ingredients that I choose. It's his Enablement. It's his strength. It's his power. But I choose it. I choose to apply it. I choose to add it to that irritation, to that disagreement, to that person. And rottenness begins to turn righteous. I love Romans 6.18. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. And then Romans 8.2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Those are two great verses to put with those. So Jesus compelling you and me to go the second mile is a call to know his grace, to know his power that he abundantly offers 
so that it changes the flavor of my rotten day or my perception of a sour person or me being the sour and the rotten. It is the graces that God says, Kathy, add this. Kathy, stir this in. Kathy, mix this. Put it on high on your, on your beater. This really needs to get ingrained into your natural rotten self. And as I do, he changes you and me. It is his power. Okay, now I want you to go back to James chapter 4, and I want you to look at number 6, because he's, James is saying, where do all this, where's all this, this fighting and this, this, um, this ugliness come from, this rotten comes from? It comes from inside your heart. You're born that way, and it's going to continue to develop and get worse unless you have that wonderful experience called salvation and receive God's gift. And then, as a child of God, look at verse 6. These first five words need to be in the top file cabinet of your brain. They need to be at the tip of my tongue, these next five words, every day, all through, all through my day. You need to memorize these. You need to think them. You need to dwell on them. You need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to bring them to mind all through your day. James 4, chapter 6, the first five words. Ready? But he giveth more grace, but he giveth more, he giveth more grace. Tell the lady next to you, but he giveth more grace. That's right. You're going through a hard time. You've got, you've got, you've got a huge meal to pull off on Monday in the brand new kitchen where everybody doesn't know where anything is and it's, and you're, and you're finding your way through, but he giveth more grace for the bigger the need, the bigger the grace you can count on it. And then it's so exciting to see that change that happens, not just outwardly, but inwardly especially. I, I had mentioned to you, you know, when I asked God to forgive me for that silly little incident of, not, of, of getting so irritated over not being able to find that, that vial of, of oil, as soon as I asked, dear Lord, forgive me, I can't believe that I'm responding this way. Yes, I can. I can believe me. Please forgive me. Do you know the irritation immediately left me inside? It left. It left. Because I was taking God's grace and I was adding it to a situation in which was the law of life. I had no power over it. And God says, like Clint's words, relax. You know, <laughs> relax. Relax. But the power of God forgiving you and me as we take his grace of forgiveness and apply it to ourselves or to that other person, it is a miracle of God's change. And it needs, to be, it needs to be experienced every day. It saves me from my rottenness and my sourness. Um, so get those five words into your mouth and into your mind and know that this is exactly what I do need to apply but he giveth more grace. I hope when you eat your banana bread this afternoon that you just mull over your mind, you taste the miracle of bananas, rotten bananas, and you taste the miracle of sour milk, and you see what it tastes like. And you say, dear Lord, this is the kind of grace I want to use that changes me. But he giveth more grace. So Jesus instructs us, compels us for the purpose of finding, tasting, using, enjoying his grace. It's God's ingredient 
I don't have it, but I get to add his ingredient to me, and it is his grace that changes the flavor in the laws of life. Now, we left off last week with looking at a beautiful grace that God supplies. He supplies the grace of patience in our run. He says, run with patience. He's got the patience. I run out. I never have enough. He has more than enough. We're not going to go back and review that, but before we look at the next grace that God gives to each of us for our daily run, for our second mile run, I want us to think on why. Why we want the change. Why do I want the change from rottenness to righteousness? And I naturally, naturally respond, well, I don't want to feel rotten. I don't want to feel sour. I want to be that delicious banana bread loaf. Is there anything wrong with that, girls? No. I want to be changed, but if the reason I want to be changed is just simply to feel good, I've missed it. I've missed it. Now, I know, I know all of you want to be changed. I know all of you want God's grace evident in your life. You want it there to, you want to use it. You wouldn't be in Sunday school if you didn't want that. And I praise the Lord that you have that heart that desires to be changed. But the real reason we want to desire change when we are irritated or hurt or angry or fearful or I don't like something. When that happens in my life, I know that God has an answer. So I immediately start searching the scriptures for a specific answer to this specific thing that is bothering me or that is hurting me. I know that God forgives and he forgives me and I know that he gives me the grace to forgive. I know he has the answers and he is always faithful but is mere relief of the symptoms of the laws of life the real goal? Oh, no. Can you think of a person who runs to God every time they're in trouble and God delivers them but in no time at all, they are just back to their own natural ways. Okay? Who in the Bible was like that? What? The children of Israel. They were always going to God because they were bothered. They were irritated. They were fearful. That's what I am supposed to do. They ran to God. And because God is a faithful father and a loving father, he delivers them over and over and over, they found relief. But girls, they never found God. Is that heartbreaking? It should be. It should be. Because me running to God to only find relief or to find an answer to, or, or yada yada keeps me in such an immature state, just like the Israelites. They never grew up. They stayed stuck in their neediness. And stuck in their backsliding. Um, Jim Berg, I brought this book to show you again. Sarah, I'm not lending this one out. <laughs> Sarah got me a book. Of, I'd lent so many out, and then I didn't have any more. And Sarah sweetly bought me a copy of, of um, Why Am I So Angry? The Lady Who's Speaking at the Ladies' Retreat. This book, Changes in Image, uh, by Jim Berg. If you have not read this, please get a copy of this. It comes with a workbook. 
If you are alive and breathing, please read this. If you are a wife, please read this. If you have children, please read this. If you are rotten and sour, please read this. <laughs> because that's where I was at. I, I mean, I, I have this so marked up and so dog-eared and so highlighted. I'm going to quote him now because it's so in reference to what we're talking about. I quote, A mere relief of the symptoms of despair, anger, fear, and so forth does not necessarily mean the real problem has been solved. The real problem goes much deeper and reminds us of an important biblical principle to understand about our change. Our greater problems are never around us. They are always in us. I'm continuing to quote him. Our Lord did not come, and, and this, this was so good. This, this, the first time I read this, it just hit me right between the eyes. Our Lord did not come to this planet, live a perfect life, become a worthy atonement for the sins of the world so that those who become his children can merely be well-adjusted, live morally upright lives, enjoy personal happiness and success. He died to redeem us from the penalty and the power of a sinful heart that keeps us from being useful servants of the living God for his glory, end of quote. Now, that is the depth in which we are called upon to rise above our surface daily, obeying the laws of life, to, God, I need to love you more. God, I, I, don't, want, I don't want my coming to you. And this is, this is what I loved about um, our study with the Lord's Prayer, okay? I study. I loved that personal study. And I love how it begins. Our Father. Now, right there puts within me a depth that is so sweeter and so securing than all my problems, than all the things I have to go, than all the laws of life that I have to obey today. No, our Father. It's my Father. It's my Father. Which art in heaven, hallowed, holy be thy name. This, this book is all about sanctification. This is all about being set apart on purpose, for his purpose. It is wonderful. Hallowed, holy be thy name. He is holy and he says, I am holy. I'm calling you. Be holy as I am holy. See, the only thing that can separate us from the love of God, God's word says, nothing can. One thing can. My sin. My sin. Jim Berg takes this issue of our natural sinful self and breaks it down in such practical, good ways and then gives so many good Practical, good disciplines to set in, not for relief. Yes, that comes, but that's a byproduct. The real issue is I get to walk with my father. I get to be in his presence. I get to enjoy all who he is because he's adopted me into the family of God. Isaiah 43.7. I don't think I got that one up there either. Isaiah 43.7. This is the answer to the whole issue before we go back to the subpoints. You and I were made for God's glory. That is our purpose. That is God's plan. We are made for God's glory. So Isaiah 43, 7 says, Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory, I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Okay. When you and I live doing what we are made to do, you've heard the expression, I was made for this? I was made for this? Okay, that's exactly 
what God is telling you and me. This is what we are made for. We are made to be living out the graces that come from God. You and I were made for showing kindness. We were made for showing kindness. Um, you and I were made for giving forgiveness. You and I were made for that. You and I were made for responding with patience. Your tongue was made to tell others about Jesus. That's why your tongue was made, to tell others about Jesus. Our tongue was made to sing and give praise and encourage others. We were made for that. That others may see your good works and what? That's what we're made for. That's what we're made for. So it is made possible only when we walk with our God no sin separating me. We enjoy and acknowledge his presence. I was made to be with him. It's family. It's family. We were made for that. And we walk with the one who we were made by and for. Then he enables you and me to do what we never could do on our own. Doug and I were playing a game of buddy and... Uh, Clint was sitting with us at the dining room table, and of course he was rooting for his dad, because the guys stick together, you know. And Doug looked up to see the squirrels just eating all the bird seed out of the bird feeders. I mean, they were just devouring it, families of squirrels. And he said to Clint, Clint, you want to shoot the gun? Now, Clint was 18 or 19 at this point, but, but Clint's Clint. And I immediately went, <gasps> I mean, I did not want Glint to even see a gun, let alone hold a gun, let alone shoot a gun. <clears throat> to which Doug replies, Kathy, he's 19. Clint echoes, I'm 19, Mom. <laughs> so carefully, Doug replaces, explains, he shows Clint how to aim, how to hold the gun. And with his dad's arms around him and his hands under Clint's hands as he holds this gun and aims it at the squirrel, and he's received all the instruction, he looks through the sight. Yeah, it's a high-powered. It's a, it's, a, it's a pellet gun, but it's a high-powered. It's got a scope on it, okay? Um, it'll, take out, it'll, it'll take out a squirrel, all right? So, um, so... Through the sight, he places his finger on the trigger. I'm holding my breath, as everybody's holding their breath for this. And then he puts the gun down, and he turns to me, and he says to me, Mom, he's teaching me. Puts the gun back up. They go through the whole situation all over again. He aims. Three, two, one, hold your breath. Look, Clint, pull the trigger. Pow! Did he hit the squirrel? Well, I'm going to tell you in just a minute. Some of you already know. But hitting the squirrel was not, was not the important part. The meaningful, sweet poignancy of this experience was being with his dad and doing something he never could have done on his own. He's teaching me, Mom. The next time you come smack dab into a law of life, it is not in you and me to deal with it in our flesh, in our natural ways. It's going to make it worse. My first 
words need to be David's prayer. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth, not my truth. Unite my heart. Because the whole point of it all is being together. Now, did he hit the squirrel? I honestly don't remember. <laughs> but it wasn't the point. And it's such a beautiful picture of did I, what we pray for, what we go on our knees for, what we are confronted with, what we deal with because of the laws of life. They are subpoints unto the banner over me that reads, for God's glory, for God's glory. Kathy, that's what you were made for. And so when those laws of life come and hit hard, and I'm not talking about the trivial things like a bottle of oil. That's what I'm talking about some of the hard things. His banner shines more brightly, more powerfully as I access the graces of God and implement them into the law of life by going the second mile. Going the second mile is simply taking the grace that God makes available to me and putting it into that thing, putting it into that situation that others may see Christ. And that's what we were made for. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you don't throw away the rotten and the sour. Thank you, my dear Lord, that you supply the grace we need to live a life that brings you glory. I pray this for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.